Hey, real quick, if you're not on a regular email list uh, that I send around all the time, then come after class and fill one of these out, and I will put you on there. That's where the emails for the Christmas party and that sort of thing will come. So, anyway, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. These are the last few verses before we get to the marriage section. But again, we won't dive into that until the beginning of the year. Because starting next week and the four weeks, for the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to shift gears and try to focus, refocus our attention on Jesus' coming into the world. That's the plan, Lord willing. But for now, follow as I read Ephesians 5, 18-21. This is the Word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. So here we are in the thick of the second half of Ephesians, which is full of commands. Having expounded His grace in glorious detail in the first half of the book, God is now calling us to respond in a life of holiness. God's grace has a trajectory of holy living. He has recreated us in Christ. He has enabled us to do what we once could not do when we were dead in our sins. He's made us alive and enabled us to follow Him according to His commands. As I said last week, the temptation for us when we're dealing with commands, particularly when we're dealing with a whole lot of them piled up together like we are in the second half of this book, the temptation is to fall into thinking that the commands of God are oppressive and burdensome. But that is not the case. The commands of God lead us on the path of life. They show us how to glorify God and they lead us further into our freedom and our joy. Now, they do great against our sinful desires, but that's good because the Christian life involves continually putting off the old self, our sinful nature, and putting on the new self um, in Christ. So we see this pattern of putting off the old and putting on the new throughout this section in Ephesians. We see it here again in verses 18 to 21. Put off the old ways of getting drunk. That's according to our corrupted, deceitful desires. Instead, put on the new self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a contrast here that we're supposed to uh, pick up on. And you could say, don't live under the influence of alcohol so that you lose necessary inhibitions in the fight against sin and the pursuit of holiness. Uh, Rather, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that you have all the weapons you need to live the Christ life to fight sin and uh, you know, be filled with the Spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So we traced out this idea of being filled with the Spirit last week, but suffice it to say, for those of you who weren't here, though all Christians have a deposit of the Holy Spirit that will never be taken away, we need continual fresh fillings of the Spirit in order to live the life that God has called us to live. We can't do what He's called us to do in and of ourselves. But He's not left us to ourselves. So let us pray regularly for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. 
The command in our passage is to be filled with the Spirit, and then we're given three fundamental ways uh, to live out this Spirit-filled life. Worship, verse 19. Thanksgiving, verse 20. And submission, verse 21. Now we talked about worship last week, and we're going to talk about submission in the next major section because verse 21 is really an introduction to the next many verses on into chapter 6. Today, let's focus on thanksgiving. First, I want you to notice the timing of our study of this verse. Um, It happens to be the week of Thanksgiving, and that was not planned by me. There are those that set out six months in advance and just kind of map out every week. I kind of wish that's the way that I operated. It's just not. And uh, but I think God, I'm regularly amazed by how He gives us what we need when we need it, and how we're just sitting here plodding away, studying through books of the Bible, and uh, you know, we could have been on any of these verses by now, but here we are, focusing on Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, that just struck me. Now, last week we not only talked about the fundamentals of the Spirit-filled life, which are listed here in our passage, but we also went over to Romans 1, and we looked at the fundamentals of the unbelieving sinful life. Now, I'm not going to read that passage again, uh, but I want to remind you of some of the things listed there for our purposes today. The fundamentals of the unbelieving sinful life are uh, people know the truth about God because He has revealed Himself in the things that He has made. Everyone knows that there's a God. But, in unbelief, suppress that truth and disregard it. So people know the truth, that there is a God, but suppress the truth and don't honor God as God, don't thank Him, and uh, you know, don't submit to Him. They worship the creation rather than the Creator. That's the fundamental, uh, those are the fundamentals of unbelief. Now it's because of these root sins that there then arises such sinful fruit as homosexuality, covetousness, envy, murder, deceit, gossip, boasting disobedience to parents, uh, giving praise and consent to sin, and all of these things. By the way, I'm not just picking out homosexuality to pick on it. It's, uh, it's listed first in, the, in Romans 1, and that's why I listed it first. But anyway, all those sins are downstream sins from the fundamental sins, which are a refusal to recognize God as God, a refusal to submit to Him, and a refusal to honor Him and worship Him, and for our purposes today, a refusal to thank Him. So, you know, it's pretty telling, honestly, when you look out at the world that we live in, how do you arrive at a culture like ours? How do you arrive at a culture that celebrates homosexuality and curses anyone uh, who disapproves of the celebration? How do you arrive at a culture that murders millions of defenseless babies? One of the fundamental ways that you get there is with an individual and corporate refusal to thank God. But I want you to think about another angle. Um, Rosaria Butterfield is coming to our church in a couple months in February. I talk about her a lot. But uh, one of the things, she was a uh, radical feminist lesbian professor converted to Christianity. And um, one of the things that she's really going to challenge our church, I would bet, I don't know, but I bet she's really going to challenge our church to better engage the homosexual community for Christ. 
uh, one of the main things that God used in her life to lead her in repentance from her sin and turning to Christ was just good old-fashioned Christian hospitality. A pastor and his wife invited her in, became her friend, shared Christ with her, walked alongside her over a period of years in leading her to Christ. Now, I hope the Lord opens the doors for us to do the same. I hope every last one of us can have a homosexual friend to love and lead to Christ. One of the things that Rosaria talks about in her book, and she's telling her story, she talks about when she was in Pastor Ken's home, how much his prayer affected her. And that has me thinking when we, when we think about Thanksgiving. So let's say we have a homosexual friend that comes over for dinner. When we pray, when we simply recognize the truth that God is God, and when we submit to Him, and when we honor Him, and when we give thanks to Him, there's something going on there that strikes at the root of our friend's homosexuality. Homosexuality is the fruit but the root, the root is a refusal to honor God and give thanks to Him. And not just homosexuality, but any unbelieving friend. A refusal to honor God and thank God is at the root of the unbelieving life. So it's been encouraging just to think about the power of thanking God in the presence of an unbelieving friend, just in our home. We invite them into our home. We submit to God, we honor God, we give thanks to God, and there's something about that that gets to the heart of the matter. Maybe it's used to stir in them like it was with Rosaria. Hey, that's why I exist. That God made me. I've been suppressing that truth. But the very fundamental reason why I exist is to know Him and honor Him and thank Him. I, I need to do that too. I want to do that too. All right. Let's uh, dig in a little more to the passage in Ephesians. One of the fundamentals of the Spirit-filled life is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I want to think about the second half of that verse first, and then we'll go back to the first half. First, notice the Trinitarian emphasis here. The word Trinity is... Nowhere to be found in the Scriptures. But the Trinity, the actual Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is all over the Scriptures. So it says the Holy Spirit-filled life, there's a Holy Spirit, involved giving thanks to the Father in the name of the Son. Anyway, just uh, always like to point that out. All three members of the Trinity right there. So why do we pray in Jesus' name? You ever thought about that? Is it just a period on the end of our sentence kind of thing? Well, it's because it's only in Christ that anyone has access to the Father. And it's not to say that if we forget to say in Jesus' name, that prayer doesn't count. But it is to say that if you're not in Christ, your prayers aren't being heard. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. A couple aspects of what it means to be a mediator. Number one, a mediator represents someone else. And number two, a mediator, a mediator's job is to establish peace between two warring parties. Right? So not only did our sin break fellowship with God, but sin established war between man and God. Yet because He so loved us, God sent a mediator to establish peace. One mediator. Jesus Christ. 
God sent Jesus to represent us. He represented us in His life, becoming a man and living the righteous life that God demands for fellowship with Him. And He represented us in His death, enduring our punishment for our sin under God's wrath. So the point is, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, but only through Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus because there's no other name under heaven that God has given by which anyone can be saved. There's only one way to have fellowship with God, and that's in Christ. And in relation to this, just regard to praying in general, when we say in Jesus' name, that's not like just adding a period to our prayer. It's more like a bold declaration saying, we understand, Lord, that it's only in Jesus that we have fellowship with You, and we understand that because we are in Jesus, You gladly receive our prayers. All right, now back to the first half of the verse. Anyone want to say anything about that before we move on? Uh, I, I was thinking about the Christian perspective of how we uh, struggle with, or in better times, don't seem to struggle as much with, with sin. And, it, and for me, it gets back to... Uh, whether we are being a life lived uh, <coughs> reactively to this end, and so when we're aware of it, we address the symptom, right? We're like, well, I'm going to put this one in place so that won't happen, and that's taken care of until some other sin comes up, and I think that I'm going to reactively uh, put some other roadblock in my way. Well, I just I won't have pornography in my house so that I won't look at it, you know, as opposed to looking at the the root of it. Root issues. Root issues. And uh, I find that when I stop trying to come up with all of the reactive solutions to my life and I stay core focused, I know I'm making it really simple. That's how it has to be for me. That's good. Um, you know, when I lead a life proactively, uh, I come to any of the issues, homosexuality or uh, how far to take drinking or, or whatever, whatever the whatever the sin is, I, and I meet other people in the Christian community, I find a lot of times that I have reactive conversations with people. And it's not by any means that I'm better than they are, but but I think that a lot of people lead their faith life that way. They, they react to so much of that stuff. And um, I ask myself this question when I get up every day. To what end? I want to get up and I want to I exercise. I want to uh, go have breakfast. I want to see one of my friends. And I ask myself that bigger question, you know, to what end? Am I just satisfying this momentary desire? Am I completing this momentary task? Or am I doing it and is this an opportunity to be light and salt? Mm -hmm. And when I ask myself that, of course it changes, you know, what I end up doing with my day. And then it also ends up changing uh, the words that I choose or the way that I feel. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm so thankful that God's put that in my heart to ask myself often to what end. Mm -hmm. and when I stay there, I think I'm a better husband and yeah. a better friend and a better employer and a better citizen. And uh, when I don't, then I have a really hurried about life and I'm really exhausted in the day. And I'll go, wow, that was a really reactive day. Mm -hmm. was Let me stick with that. The, uh, cause I, it, that's where we're heading in okay. terms of just addressing the fruit and getting to the root and that sort of thing. Um, so giving thanks always, and that's good. Thank you. 
giving thanks always, or you could say continually, and for everything. So, you know, what if I'm not feeling thankful? I mean, give thanks continually. This doesn't require us to feel a certain way, simply called to always be giving thanks. So I want you to think about the power of continually giving thanks. Um, A few of the main things we've covered today, you know, God's commands are not burdensome. They show us how to glorify God. They uh, also lead us further on the path of life, further into our freedom and joy. At the root of the unbelieving sinful life is a refusal to thank God. At the root of a believing spirit-filled life is a commitment to be thanking God continually. So we're not just dealing with fruits, we're dealing with roots. Now, uh, we may not be unbelievers, but we do battle sin. We battle unbelief day to day. Lust, anger, covetousness, bitterness, gossip, envy, you know, you name it. Again, these sins are downstream from the fundamental sin of refusing to thank God. So what we learn here is that giving continual thanks to God, far from God being up in the sky and saying, you will thank me, you know, this is actually, this is not restricting and demanding as much as it is very freeing and a major tool in our arsenal in our fight against sin in our life in godliness. So we talked about this a little bit in our it came up in a different passage, uh, being thankful. But, you know, when the temptation to covet someone else's life arises, whether you're tempted to want their job or you want their spouse or you just want their life in general, um, at the root of that is this discontent with God and the life that He has given. And a powerful way to cut off that sin at the root is to thank God, right? To thank God for your job and your spouse and your life in general. Uh, Even if we don't feel thankful for our job, we can give thanks for it. Even if we don't feel thankful for our spouse, we can give thanks for it. Even when you don't feel thankful about your general lot in life, we can give thanks for it. So, wherever we are, God has put us here, right? This didn't happen by accident. And a fundamental way to get ourselves heading in the right direction in terms of glorifying Him and serving Him faithfully is simply to thank Him always and for everything. For example, Tiffany and I have been talking a lot about the holidays and uh, there was a point in Levi's young life when he was just born where he had 16 living great-grandparents. And most of them live in town. So... All to say, when the holidays come around, you know, our family tree goes a lot of different ways and it can be a little bit stressful to think about how we're going to navigate some of these things. Now, he didn't have a close relationship with all 16, but just to say, it can be stressful. Well, after we'd been stewing over it for, you know, at least a week and just griping about it and bitter about it and this is ridiculous and, you know, why don't we just go on an island or whatever... Uh, she texted me, and the, the conversation had sort of subsided for a day or so, and she texted me, and she said, you know, I'm just convicted. I just really want to be thankful that we have family to go and see and love and be with. And you know, as, as I read that, I was thinking, you have no idea how relevant this is to me right now in my life as I seek to try to uh, not only heed this myself, but try to encourage others to do the same. And here I am, you know, in this same tailspin. 
But that's exactly right. I mean, how do I go about in something that's not looking uh, so ideal and where I'm tending towards bitterness and, you know, I start by being thankful to God for who He's put in my life and the opportunities before me. Um, Now, when it says everything, does that mean everything? Like, be thankful for everything. I think that there are some restrictions here. Just as He reveals His will to us in the Word. I'm not going to thank God for sin because God is not the author of sin. But there are certainly many things surrounding the issue of sin that I will thank God for. Thank you, God, for redemption from sin in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you use even my sin uh, to advance your purposes and get me where you want me to go. So there are certain things that God hates, and I don't believe this passage is calling us to thank God for the things that He hates. That said, I do believe this is calling us to thank Him for far more than we would tend to thank Him for. We tend to thank Him for the good things, or at least the things that we would define as good. But, you know, this would also extend and include uh, thanksgiving in areas that we're not normally comfortable thanking Him for, such as trials and suffering. Thank You, Lord, for this trial. Um, I know that in it, You're strengthening my faith. I know that You're shaping me through it to be more like Christ. Because that's what You do with trials. And the same with pain. Thank You, Lord, for the pain. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about... Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. And I think it's going to illustrate the point. So Corey and her sister Betsy were single all their lives. Uh, they lived in a home most of their lives with their godly father, Casper. Their mother died when they were young, maybe in their 20s. Casper was a watchmaker and his shop was right there in their home in Holland. And uh, during the day, Corey would work with her father in the shop and Betsy would really take care of the things around the house. But before the day started and as the day ended, every day, two times a day, Casper would read a chapter of the Bible with his girls and with all who were in the house uh, at the time. Oftentimes they had a lot of people living with them. And this would prove to be extremely important, just the simple discipline of open the scriptures, read a chapter, and you'll see why in a minute. Now, at times, there were a lot of people around the table because during World War II, the Ten Boom family was hiding Jews in their home um, in order to try to keep them from being taken to the concentration camps. So they had a secret room built into one of the rooms in their home. Essentially, you would walk in and you'd see a wall and you wouldn't be able to tell that there was actually about two more feet to the actual wall. That was just a wall that they had put up. And so... Um, you know, the Nazis had taken over the area. They would uh, bust into homes unannounced and they would take the Jewish people away. <clears throat> now, they barged into the Ten Boom home many times, but the Ten Booms ran daily drills uh, to make sure that they could get from where they were into and get their Jewish friends into the hiding place. Uh, the, the name of the book is called The Hiding Place. If you're interested in reading the whole story, it's a wonderful book. But, I mean, down to, like, say they're at a meal 
and there's plates everywhere, and if they come in and they see ten plates, well, they know there's people in the house. And so, you know, the Jewish friends would run immediately and go get in the hiding place, and then Corey and Betsy would have to scramble and put the plates in a secret place that they had because they're coming in and searching everything. Anyway, this worked for a long time. But one day they were found. And not only uh, were the Jews taken away, but so were the ten booms for hiding the Jews. Now at this point, I believe Corey and Betsy were like in their 50s and Casper obviously much older. Uh, They were taken into a concentration camp. So they started at a camp in Holland, which was bad enough, uh, but Corey and Betsy ended up in a legendary death camp in Germany, which was known as like the worst one. Um, Their father had died in the camp before they were shipped to Germany. So the details of life in these prisons, pretty hard to read. I mean, it's hard to stomach to think that there is such evil that has ever been on display in human history. Um, Imagine the pictures that you see of, or that you've seen of those that were in concentration camps. They were barely fed, uh, often just enough to stay alive. Many of them did extreme uh, back-breaking labor all day, brutal punishment. I mean, just even just the way that she depicts the tone in the voices of the guards, and it was just always hatred, always anger, always oppressive. Uh, The living conditions were horrendous, dank, moldy, cold. They had just a thin sheet of clothing, always cold. People were always sick and dirty and frail. Uh, Plumbing that was backed up for weeks and months and they're not going to fix it, and you've got thousands of people. Uh, One of the worst things is where they slept. They weren't beds as much as they were just huge planks that were covered in straw, stacked three and four high. You sit up too fast, you hit your head on the one above you, and they go for a long way. Uh, Where four people might fit comfortably, there were ten. Where 400 would be max capacity, there were a thousand Sick, dying, angry people. These people are at their wit's end, being pushed to the brink of sanity every day, crawling all over each other, facing another day of hell tomorrow. The straw was wet, it was mildewed, and it was jumping with lice and with fleas. Their bodies would have bites and sores all over them from the lice and the fleas. Now, Casper had instilled in his daughters a deep love for the Scriptures. And uh, at the risk of their own lives, they smuggled a little Bible in with them wherever they went. And they were transferred a few different times. And so they brought the Word with them. It's an amazing story in and of itself how really God smuggled it in. I mean, every time where it just doesn't make sense, how did they get that Bible in again? You know, God smuggled it in. And when they got to the German camp... Uh, the really bad one with the horrible sleeping arrangement, hundreds of people everywhere, they would read the Bible every night, just like their daddy taught them. Uh, Tons of women gathering around from all these different countries and all these different languages. They're translating it on the fly into all these different languages that are represented. People truly hungry for the bread of life and living water. Now, Corey would say that Betsy was much more the spiritual... I mean, Corey quite spiritual in and of herself, but she would say Betsy was more spiritual, just a better Christian 
than her. And when they got into the sleeping area with uh, the wet straw and the fleas and the hundreds of people, they're just about to throw in the towel. They're on the brink of despair. Could this really get any worse? But Betsy had an epiphany. She says, Corey, what was the passage that we, that we last read? The Daily Bible read. It was about thanking God always and for everything. It was a passage of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians. That's it, Corey. We need to start by thanking God for everything in this room right now. I mean, all of these people. And we need to thank Him for His Bible. Oh, Corey, He has, he has brought this Bible in with us in amazing ways. And we need to thank Him for the fleas. And it's like, Corey was tracking until then. Like, seriously, Betsy, you think God really cares if we thank Him for the fleas? But Corey, it says thank Him for everything. So yes, we must thank Him for the fleas. Whatever seems ridiculous, but, you know, whatever floats your boat, Betsy. Little Miss Pious. As, uh, as time went on, the Bible study grew and grew. Lots of women coming to Christ before their death, which was not far off. Some who were Christian, rejuvenated in their faith, empowered in the hope of the Gospel, given the daily strength just to make it, just to continue in faith in the Lord. Now, they never could figure out why the guards never came in that room. But they just counted it a blessing, and they just kept opening the Scriptures. And then one day, Corey overheard a guard talking. And I think uh, someone had asked the guard to come into the bedroom for some reason, and she, you know, something like, nine, you know, not a chance, not doing it, not going. Well, why not? Why wouldn't the guard go in there? Why wouldn't these guards go in there? The fleas. The guards were afraid of the fleas. Which is why they were able to continue their daily Bible study and who knows how many women were saved into glory. And not only that, but those who had to face this day-to-day hell had the strength again today to persevere in the Lord. Thank you, God, for the fleas. Thank God always and for everything, even those things in our lives that we would not tend to thank Him for. You never know what He is up to. So where are there fleas in your life? Thank God for the fleas. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we do thank You. In the strong and mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank You that You have saved us, that You have brought us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Your beloved Son. We thank You that we are alive and well under the sovereign good care and protection of Your mighty hand. And yet, Lord, what that means, it means something different than we tend to think. We see even in a striking way in the lives of the Ten Booms that... uh, You're not primarily concerned with our safety. Um, You are not safe. And if we're honest, that scares us. And yet, Lord, our hearts are full and we rejoice at seeing You work out this great 
plan of salvation that You have for all nations. And uh, we do desire to participate with You. So Lord, we pray that You would get great glory and that You would use us as Your servants uh, to spread Your great name. And Lord, we do thank You for everything. We thank You for the fleas in our life. Lord, we thank You for the trials. We thank You for the pain because we know that You are right there in our midst at work, crafting us, shaping us into the men and women You've called us to be. Uh, We do pray that You would strengthen our faith for the journey and uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we do have a couple minutes for those that have another thought or question. We are voting Wednesday night, December 2nd. Yeah. Well said. Anybody else? Yeah, I wouldn't call it going through the motions, uh, um, because if your heart is really locked in with the Lord, and there's a kind of grit to your prayer, I'm not thankful about this, but there's something in me that I resonate with this, Lord, and I believe you, and I'm going to thank you. That's different than going through the motions. Going through the motions is just kind of doing your religious duty, you know. But if there's a real faith that, and that's the tension, I don't feel thankful. And yet I give you thanks. Yes, I believe that your heart will lock in in gratitude eventually. I think that's a major paradigm in the Scriptures that, uh, you know, throughout is that action creates feeling. We, we tend to think, follow your feelings. And uh, in reality, we don't. We follow the Lord according to His Word. And um, our feelings matter. They're just not our ultimate authority. And so He cares about our feelings. And uh, I do think they will eventually lock in. I always go back to the passage in 1 Peter 1, verse 22. It talks about, it says, Having purified your souls by a sincere... I don't know. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. But notice what it says. There's a purification happening in your soul, that place where your feelings and emotions are, There's a purification happening as you obey the truth that creates a sincere love so that you can love sincerely. So you may be starting out, it's not that sincere, or my feelings aren't locked in, but God says to do something, and so we do it in faith, trusting Him, 
And as we obey Him, according to the truth, there's a purification happening and our feelings will lock in. It applies to giving thanks when we're not feeling thankful. It applies to being faithful to someone when we're feeling unfaithful, you name it. I think just saying blanket, thank, thanking them for something you don't like can help, um, but you know, I can also just gloss over in Jesus' name and mm-hmm. not really think about what that means too. I think in the bad situations and things that we're definitely not thankful for, I can find faith and rest and thankfulness in knowing that God's there mm-hmm. and He's in that situation and it's there's a I mean, there's a reason um, or we just know that He's there and it's not from some kind of random cosmic thing or, or something so I don't know I can find thankfulness in that even though I'm not thankful for the situation you're right and kind of going back to your base what what are you, you know, we will always be able to be thankful for salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ for the grace that He's given us in Christ, even though we may not be thankful for this other thing. And um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I also think you can fake it to your Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, no, that's huge. And I think, you know, I think our verse really covers both ends of the spectrum, Um, you know, from the deep and profound gratitude that we have that our souls are safe eternally in Christ to what are you, what's your favorite food? Are you, do you like the way it tastes? I mean, where did that come from? You know, and and then obviously more basic needs and things like that. But it covers the whole thing. And to see that every good and perfect thing is from Him. And, um, yeah, it is good. One thing I thought about, uh, I was reading and there was like Thanksgiving week and there used to be, and I, I know we still have a national day of Thanksgiving and all that, but that came from presidents. You know that? I mean... Lincoln is kind of remembered as like he established the National Day of Prayer and Thanksgiving, but that George Washington did that. He was the first one. And uh, the way that he started, I can't remember exactly, but it said like we know that every good thing comes from the Almighty God. And, you know, I just thought, huh. So that was pretty cool. And uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's Thanksgiving. And where did that come from? All right. Good day. There's some stuff back there. Coffee, drink, donuts. Happy Thanksgiving.